Welcome to Burnout, a Blueprints of Disruption mini-series. The goal of this series is to normalize talking about burnout in a more reflective, constructive way. Burnout is weaponized against us, but we seem to just accept it. Because although we acknowledge it, we somehow also ignore it. We understand its seriousness, but laugh about it. I'm your host and complete hypocrite, Jay Woodruff. I'm going to take the only time these folks have to relax to ask them about one of the deeper, more personal impacts of disruption, burnout. You'll hear how it affects their personal and professional lives, the tolls it has taken, how others process and deal with it, the psychology behind it, and more. Burnout affects many of us who fight for a better world, and in many different ways. In this episode, I sit down with Blueprints of Disruption host Jessa McLean and discuss how the pressures of political organizing contribute to her burnout, as well as the systemic issues at play. Hi, my name's Jessa. This is what burnout is to me. Ah, there's so many different ways to go about this, but overall, because of all the things you're involved in and have been involved in, does burnout represent itself differently in different spaces to you? Yeah, definitely. Like, there will be some spaces I completely withdraw from, some I just limit exposure to, and then some I will actually pour every remaining ounce I have into despite being in burnout because it gives me that extra little lifeblood in return, right? There's, and a lot of us are are like that. A lot of activists are like that. Although you should withdraw to an extent when you have burnout, we know this, right? Like limit our efforts, self-care, but, but taking yourself out of the fight completely is actually painful. It, it, it draws on you. And unless you can kind of remove yourself from like reality altogether and pretend like nothing's going on in the world, uh, yeah, it's almost impossible to just stop that work. It's interesting. You, before we started recording, I told you because it was you, I added um, some extra personalized questions. And <laughs> Which you scared answered, me, by the way. <laughs> you just answered almost all of them because... Oh, no. My, <laughs> or should we wrap? <laughs> <laughs> so I have notes of of things that I was expecting you to touch on that we could expand on. And it was, is empathy greater than self-care? Are you able to catch burnout and so on? And and the jokes. I put jokes like 10 different times because we all joke for the most part about burnout. But <laughs> but it's, to me, I see it as a coping mechanism because we know it's there. You act specifically in certain ways and, and make very, try to make calculated decisions on where to put your time and energy when in burnout? I don't know. I don't know if they're that calculated, Jay. Sorry <laughs> to cut you off. They're like, because I'm thinking like, don't give me that much credit. I think it you kind of go into survival mode and you, you're like a moth to a flame. Like <laughs> it'll hurt you, but you actually sometimes go to those spaces you probably should be withdrawing from. It, it's really strange because I can withdraw from probably the most helpful, caring comrades and spaces sometimes in burnout. I feel like because I can't mask in front of them as much, I can't, you know, it's just too much, but I can be a little more um, aggressive in tactics or I can go up in a different kind of fight. 
because I think I can compartmentalize that a little bit differently. It's really strange how I how it manifests itself, but it's definitely far from calculated. You you had talked about some things you pour your last remaining energy or emotion into it and other things you'll withdraw completely. These are things that we talk about as a result of trauma. Do you feel that burnout is a, a trauma or a result of trauma? Because knowing how, I know you said it's not necessarily as controlled at the moment you decide, okay, maybe not even in the moment because I go into things, I'm just going to sit and listen and then I don't shut up. So is it a trauma response? Because a lot of people think of visualize burnout as like a battery, but it's so much more and so much deeper than just an energy level. So I guess instead of is it a trauma response as a question, what does burnout mean to you? It definitely means I stop producing in the levels that I want to. It means usually means my personal life or my friendships suffer and the self-care diminishes and the masking maximizes <laughs> And, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean from the outside, it appears I've slowed down, but there are some real gaps in what should be going on in, our, you know, um, a healthy lifestyle or a sustainable lifestyle because it has levels like burnout, right? Like you, you kind of touched on it. Like, can you catch it? I think you, you brought up there and yes, sometimes, yes, you can definitely, feel yourself getting stretched too thin and maybe irritable and anxiety overload, like like you just got a lot of weight and uh, you don't let up. So you kind of know you're going into that situation, but a lot of the time it does kind of creep up on you and you just kind of realize you've withdrawn from a lot of things. Um, I'm neurodivergent, so I have some time blindness as well. So sometimes I'm astonished how time has gone by since I've responded to a text or uh, a request for help. And um, yeah, then that starts to layer on as guilt. <laughs> but yeah, like I've had levels of burnout for sure where I've been in the hospital. And then there's levels of burnout that I am still producing content for my show or organizing a lot of folks in multiple spaces, but then literally just like laying out flat in the off time. The show that Jess is talking about is Blueprints of Disruption, another Rabble Rousers cooperative show. Out of curiosity, there's a lot of people who aren't at a level of self-awareness to talk on it to this level. You are very self-aware of burnout, a lot of the ways it impacts you, but it, it's not, it doesn't create a preventative mechanism or anything like that. So with me, I have autoimmune diseases. I can be exhausted. And most people, when you're exhausted, you take a break. But for me, a break doesn't mean I'm going to get any energy back. So that's a lot like burnout. And also you hit on it. There's family situations that are affected by, but also create burnout. There's social, there's work, there's <laughs> every aspect of our life. There's both a, a creation or a contributor to burnout and then an effect from burnout. 
these things is there a way like you you talk about your your mechanism sometimes is to to withdraw from things but we can't withdraw from everything so how does it affect the different aspects of your life with family or social or work or hobbies is it can you escape burnout of one thing and and focus on another space that still creates burnout or contributes to burnout sure i mean like family life is turmoil in itself sometimes but it it uh, it is a space that that you can rejuvenate yourself in but i think when i'm going through burnout and i don't withdraw from work <laughs> i feel strange saying that cuz like none of it's paid if i don't withdraw from that work then my family life is impacted through my coping mechanism and i think there's nuances too and not that neurodivergent or autistic people can't get burnout, but there's different versions of burnout and contributing factors in that way. So yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a tough question. The problem is family is always there, especially like family understands and they seem to just be a constant, but the work is the demands seem to be greater. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the pull seems to be there. The urgency often seems to be there. But um, I'm making it sound like I don't make time for my family. I have a lot of time for my family still. It's just like how mentally you can interact, um, especially after a day of intense interactions. Because the political realm in has a lot of demands in terms of mental load and emotional load. It's very combative, right? And it gets you riled up. You get upset, um, especially folks that have high empathy level, right? Or a high sense of injustice. Reading the news is difficult, but disengaging from it isn't an option. Yeah, I know a lot of people just feel that constant pull. With stepping out of the personal perspective to a more societal view We've normalized burnout. We've we've labeled it in different spaces like, oh, grinding or uh, power hour or whatever, whatever words you want to use. Most most different uh, settings in, in a gaming industry, in film industry and so on. They've normalized it by branding it and, and implying that, it, hey, it's this thing that's normal and supposed to happen and does happen. Is it? Is it the normalization that is a mass coping mechanism or is burnout just a part of life? Oh, it's a part of capitalism, right? When we are forced especially to do things that don't realize our actual human potential and when we have all of these stressors unnaturally placed on us that make us in survival mode. Just mere existence is survival mode. You need to pay bills no matter what. Forget everything else that comes onto your plate in terms of like world injustices or illness in your family or anything. Just mere existing is like just this fight for survival, even though we have created such complex communities that could sustain us all. So it's not a part of natural life. I think it is a part of most people's reality, though. And uh, the big part of normalization, again, it's like, 
the problem is capitalism because it 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 reinforces this right like working nine till five like <laughs> I know we had to fight to get those hours but it's it is quite unnatural to think that you need to sell your labor for at least 40 hours a week in order to survive in most circumstances. And if you don't, you're punished. So your worth is then placed on that. And it's a bragging right. And I think we're starting to move away from that. Just the fact that burnout now has a name and, and, and before it was just kind of like, you know, motherhood was expected to you're just be frazzled and tired all the time. That's normal, right? And all these other things that it, the system does help us reinforce that normalization. I wouldn't take that too much on on us, but uh, you talk about joking, it's like that's definitely a coping mechanism because you can't you can't stop. It the world doesn't let you stop. You can't. Like if you had all the money in the world and I could go to a spa and just mentally check out for a few weeks, like, sure, sure, I could buy some time back. But you still then dive right back in to the same old slog uh, that's designed to burn people out, really. So much so that anyone who's taken part in um, any kind of campaign, which you've taken part in many campaigns, the things that you put off. When you come back, you don't start back from where you put it off. There's been a week, a month, couple months of extra stuff you have to catch up on before you can start back. So even taking that break, which is a perfect segue into the next question I had, is when we try and escape, there is a lot of people that I have talked to about burnout. There is a fear of stopping. For me, I have always overwhelmed myself because I don't want to stop and sit there and reflect because then it's holy shit look how <laughs> look how overwhelmed I am when it's normalized in so many different aspects you talked about motherhood it it was supposed to or it was normal to always be exhausted and so on and if there was any resistance to that for a long time it was diagnosed as hysteria like why wouldn't you want to that's so normal that you not wanting that is not okay it must be a medical condition so we've we've done a lot of breaking down of things like anxiety and trauma and stress is understood more on the chemical reactions and so on so is it more so now instead of being a, a simple fact of life is it weaponized so if you're in a political space, is burnout weaponized in work? It seems so detrimental to everywhere it exists, but it exists everywhere. So is it weaponized? Have you found it weaponized where we can joke and, and dismiss burnout, but our opponents, I'll say opponents just as like a, a catch-all, are they purposely trying to burn us out in, in these different spaces? Are our CEOs or upper management trying to burn out the workers? Are politicians and political parties trying to burn out the electorate and members and so on? Yeah, like short answer is yes. And always when we're talking about like our opponents, it's we're talking about capital, capitalists and those that facilitate them, right? So um, they want us divided and tired. And that's why it's hard to mobilize folks a lot of the time. Like you'll see our voting numbers diminish as life gets harder. Um, we disengage. We don't have time 
to pay attention quite often. You know, this is what we already live and breathe. But if you are working and parenting and maybe caregiving and all those other extracurricular things that you deserve to do, there's no time to keep on top of politics and pay attention to what the powerful are doing. And we're too tired to fight back for the most part um, and confused and burnt out. So in that way, it's weaponized uh, in the same way, you know, capitalism is. But I don't think like on that smaller scale, like when you say political parties, like my experience within the the NDP is more that they're perfectly aware of the impacts of burnout because they're human beings and they have done campaigns, which are is just continuous work for X amount of days um, on top of real life. And they don't accommodate for it, right? They don't make any plans to prevent it. They don't include self-care time or like, and you know, and, and most people don't. So it's not like a specific slight to any political party, but just that in general, even though we're aware of it, and even though we're progressive, and we're supposed to be taking care of one another, I think most places do a really poor job of going beyond recognizing it. It's like those land acknowledgements. We acknowledge you're all burnt out, but here's a list of things that we need to be done by midnight tonight. <laughs> so I, I love how you just represented that because uh, about the political space within a party at, at the core of it, there's a fundraising mechanism that must continuously present this urgency and this threat that we must call bank we must donate now we must do this and do this and it's a perpetual state of it's never enough so then when you put when you reach a point where you need to say take a, a break you are then not up to date on that forced continuous stressor so you take a break other people start focusing together. Other people start working together. And and you there's the fear of being like boxed out or left behind. So is that not the weaponization of burnout where get people to a point where if they do stop, then you're you're excluded, you're behind, you're not rewarded, you're not a part of it. Because this is something that's very normal in politics. I guess that that thought doesn't actually, of all the thousands of thoughts that go through my mind at any moment, and that's not one of my worries when I step back. My worry 100% is just that there's just already not enough being done. I've known from a very young age that like there's work to be done, there's injustice, and that's not right, and you can't just sit back. And if people need your help, you need to help them. If you have any capacity, you need to help them. I would love to be boxed out of some things because honestly, all what pulls me back into, I said 100%, so I guess I lied. Um, it's also the expectations put on me as my profile grew a little bit. Like, I hate even saying that it sounds so smug, but like so many people reach out to me 
daily still, and I've withdrawn from the party so much, and I'm not slighting anyone who has reached out to me, and I know I haven't responded to quite a lot of you, that look to me to, like, solve it, <laughs> like, fix the party, or start a new one, or unite the left, and that's an incredible weight, and these are all really great people, and... I don't want to let them down. And you only live one life, right? Like we talk about making marks that will last in an eternity, right? Like lighting flames that will help eventually spark that revolution if it's not in our lifetime. And um, that work is just, it's got to be tireless and that sucks, but that's my reality. And that's, that's okay. Cause there's, there's incredible trade-off as well. This kind of circles back quite early into this conversation where it was unspecified, but you had brought it up. So empathy is greater than self-care in everyone that I know who is empathetic. So why are we, and this is such a huge question, why are we so willing to do everything to fight things while sacrificing ourselves, understanding that the destruction of someone else is horrible and we will destroy ourselves to try and fight that. The easiest answer for me there is we're human. I think that is human nature. A lot of people would say it's human nature to be competitive, but it's actually to be incredibly cooperative. And that's how we survive in a society. I mean, not to the point where you're like throwing yourself on, um, grenades but to an extent that is part of being human and knowing the impact it has on me hopefully my output is greater that I help more people than I harm hopefully that's one and like capital <laughs> so um I don't know I think I'm not like advocating for burnout because we need good people to stay healthy and to be able to fight in a healthy, sustainable way. But we are also at an incredibly pivotal moment in political times where we are losing ground to something that is deadly. Like there's no mincing words now. It's there is fascism on the rise and it was always the left's duty to make sure that that did not happen. And um, we are failing. And so even now that work is even more important. So I would love, like, I hope through your discussions, because I've not really discovered a lot of coping mechanisms or ways to, like, prioritize yourself over the greater good. But I'm not sure we're supposed to, right? Because I, I rail against individualism. It's what's destroying our society. We are communal creatures. And sometimes that requires, like any mother will tell you, even the act of pregnancy and breastfeeding is a bit of self-sacrifice for a greater good, right? It's, it is built into our humanity. This is how most animals survive in this way. The fact that it's seen as like a personal flaw, not by you, is another product of our system. Because if we had the time, we could take care of our community, no problem. 
right? If we actually utilize the resources that we had and live the lives that we, we could live fairly and equitably, we could have the time to take care of ourselves and our neighbors, our children and the world, you know what I mean? Like we wouldn't have to do it on this shoestring budget of energy that we have left over. So I won't let the system win. <laughs> but you hit on something that has really pissed me off that I I can't figure out. Not you pissed me off, but just that it exists pissed me off. That happens. <laughs> In most of our communities on Facebook, I'm a part of a, a group called Buy Nothing. It's people who don't want to throw things out and want to see if other members of the community want it. And then there'll be someone who posts there was a house fire and then the community will come together and the community came together for me and basically furnished my apartment when I had some issues going on when I first moved in that I couldn't get my stuff here. That challenged my custody of my daughter because I didn't have a bed for her. So the community came together and I intended to try and locate just a bed for that first night, but I had people come together to create like almost a fully furnished apartment. We will do that. It is something that it doesn't necessarily matter what the, the Facebook post or the call for help is. People are normal, even people who aren't wealthy or even comfortable, people will sacrifice to help others. But then you go up a level to like, municipal politics we don't come together provincial politics we're even more divided federal we're so you talked about it being a part of at the core of human humanity to come together but then at the same time in society we've normalized so many things that are the uh stark contradiction of of these things. So most of us fight the effect of things. How do we start normalizing the opposite of what is normalized? How do we, some people will say, move the Overton window. Some people will say, smarten the fuck up. Like, how do we change from it being okay to spend most of your life working to afford a place you spend little time in to feed and and take care of a family you get to spend little time with like it's really messed up how we live as a species but it's so normalized that they try and project these core human functions as being weird or wrong or ugly i think in general we've really been separated from what it means to be human because when you get into political arguments and, you know, healthy ones that you're allowed to have discourse and you really get it boiled down, it often comes to a disagreement on what human nature is, right? Whether it is to be competitive or cooperative or whether it's, you know, are we inherently bad and need to be controlled? Are we inherently good, you know, and and could flourish if if let to do so. And again, that is by design. And we've, it's been so long and it's been so many generations, if, if ever, right? It's, it's not like before capitalism, people weren't struggling either, right? We, we've yet to realize full human emancipation, 
and that is Mar- that is Karl Marx talking there. <laughs> For all those folks who want to label me a commie, I am. But it's true. If you are able to read Marx or even just step back and think of any kind of living being and the idea of selling that being's abilities so they can eat, right? That doesn't exist anywhere else in the animal world, right? That is a a design by humans to exist in that kind of survival mode no matter what. Um, And that's definitely not necessary at all. But it's been generations of this being reinforced that this is normal, that this is what good people do. This is what bad people do. If you don't work, you're not worthy of anything. Like even the idea of what work is and what contributing to your community is has been so warped, right, Um, by design. So that you do need to compete in that capital market or you will be ostracized, removed, forced into poverty or euthanized. It's how do you get people to realize what what I believe human nature truly is, is probably a lot of hard discussions. And it makes a good argument for universal basic income. And I like I know you don't want to get political in so much, but if you just allowed people to free up some of their time or some of that stressor of having to constantly be at work, I hate to get into Marxist like theory or anything, but just think about what you would do with your body all day long for eight hours a day. Like, is that you realizing, is that, is that you realizing what your capacity is, what your true potential is it's, it absolutely cannot be like for some people they might be in a profession where that allows them to do it for the most part it's just grind it's mundane it's repetitive it's not challenging to like the extent that folks can actually contribute it's often in in areas that you know aren't actually contributing to society I worked at a place on University Avenue in a decently paid position But I absolutely knew that the work and the time I spent away from my family and all that effort was actually just making capital more money. And it was, I understood that. So it sucked my soul. It made me sick to my stomach every Monday morning when I had to go to work. It was a toxic workplace too, but that's besides the point. I just knew I was not doing what I was meant to do. I knew it. It's tough once you realize that. It's kind of easier to be in the matrix and thinking this is normal and this is by like... This is how humans have always been, and it's how humans always will be. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's lost human potential for sure that keeps us in this burnout. The thing I hate the most that is enraging and defeating at the same time is it is what it is. And <laughs> that seems kind of like I talk to people about how we gaslight our children just like our parents gaslit us and their parents but people don't ever want to accept that reality because it's associating some kind of blame and not you are a victim of something and then if you only know that then you are unintentionally going to do the same thing so for instance you talked about work contributing to capital in times of the greatest advancements in in science, in math, in art, in music, and so on. Before innovation was 
owned by corporations and it was able to be an individual who was funded by whatever source of funding to pursue their passion and that's all they had to worry about so some of the great artists who were funded by the state or by a university or by wealthy people to focus on that craft while they were creating that song or that or that artwork while they were doing it they weren't considered to be contributing it was only at the end result for that here is that quick microsecond societal reward thank you for creating this but the effect of it could be a new medium a new way of presenting a completely different take on something that has just been the way it is but that kind of thing has been wholly choked out innovation's been taken from people so when you talk about you this this is me responding to the ubi is when you allow people the opportunity to pursue what they love or what drives them or to to have the option to say you know what this isn't this isn't my jam i want to change it it creates innovation on mass scale so is that the biggest uh proponent to why we don't is capitalism wants to own innovation so we accept well you shouldn't have time to have a hobby to uh do a thing you like to do and so on we're talking individual acts of say a painter painting but then the impact can be societal change create innovate so is it fostering a bit more of the it's okay to be individual if we're not doing it in a way that's destructive for sure because it doesn't even have to result in anything like innovative we have to recognize that like self growth is a collective gain right when each person does better we are collectively then better but that doesn't really work with capitalism and you know i feel like i don't want to get into a theory discussion again but you know it does require a level of people that are unemployable that are desperate for a job or at least sit there to demonstrate that at least that's not us. So even the working poor can be like, well, at least I'm not on ODSP, right? Like, but that is necessary in order to starve us for the lowest wages possible and all these other things, right? So it doesn't value the kind of self-growth that we deserve. So it definitely doesn't like value the liberal arts or the creative arts even though those are incredible contributions to our communities. We know this. We know vibrant communities are full of creative individuals, right, making it more beautiful and and whatnot, but but that you know that that is a commodity. I mean, you can commodify anything at this point, I'm pretty sure, but in general that's yeah, it's not valued. So any time you take to do that self-care, that self-growth is not valued. It's not paid <laughs> um in any way. And it's often seen as extra. The fact that like even self-care has a name is kind of strange. We should just be taking care of ourselves and then those around us, right? Like just naturally. But we we often are so stuck in the grind of the machine making money for capital that we actually forget we need to take care of ourselves. And the only reason they would ever even remind us to do that is so that we can keep working in the machine. Yeah, it's uh it's a, it's a bit of a slog, but whatever comes out of your 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 growth, right? You are then a bigger contributor to the people around you. And that that has value. 
it's best exemplified by our education system where yeah. if everyone had access to education whatever path they take the knowledge they are gaining and then returning into society that's an investment as a whole but it's it's not viewed as that and it's so bizarre because we individualize the things we shouldn't and we on a social level do things that we shouldn't we do the opposite of how we should act so i want to i want to take a, a quick focus on a very you specific answer i've hit on it quite a few times and we just kind of went into a deep dive of hobbies or self-care is there anything you do that you're able to enjoy so not something you do as part of like a routine but something you're able to stop and and focus and enjoy such as art or creation of music or any kind of thing like that what is your escape from it all for a little bit i like to paint and i love to get my hands dirty in gardening i love i grow some food but i love to grow flowers and pretty things and smelly things and things that just keep growing and winding around stuff i find really real joy in watching things grow like that. So the winter is hard on me. I do have some house plants and I keep telling someone, if you see one at the grocery store, please bring it home. Um, I'm lacking in that green space right now. But um, I did get actually my fingers dirty with some paint this morning with my little one. So yeah, I, I do. I have been able to find things, you know, it sounds so cliche, but long walks. (laughs) I live near a lake and I find seeing water, a a large body of water, very soothing. I feel like we were all meant to live near the water where you can like hear it and see it. And so if I go for a little bit of a drive, I can go see a lake and I find that very cleansing. (laughs) I sound like such a hippie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there are some things and sometimes I need to remind myself what they are or just like make time. It's hard when you're a mom. You ha- you prioritize the needs of your kids, too, in that spare time. But luckily, they like to do some of the things that I like. I recently experienced the first ever school activity for my daughter. And I had to get through a lot of levels of personal challenges to, to take part in that. But when she looked up while she was doing... Um, when she looked up and she saw me there. It wasn't the act of going. It wasn't the act of singing. It wasn't any of that. The thing that was unbelievably rewarding is her looking up at me, seeing me there and seeing the look on her face at seeing me there. That moment right there was worth all the all the hurdles I had to climb in order to go take part. And it's funny because for me, I try and focus on, and and I'm so interested to ask people this, I've lined up artists to ask how burnout impacts their life, because as an artist, if you don't produce, you're you're in trouble. And Both financially and emotionally. But for other, I want to ask, when you are burnt out, does that mean you stop, say, painting, or does it change the painting you're doing and so on? But for me, I don't, I don't have hobbies playing with my daughter is my hobby. I don't, even though I'm doing an, a, a podcast on burnout, which focuses on self-care, I'm a horrible hypocrite because I have, other than spending time with my daughter, if she is not here, I am on pause. So it's it, it's interesting to me how you talk about going, going for a, a simple drive to the lake 
but all the things that have to happen for that to be accessible to you. If you're not working, you, you can't maybe afford the car or gas or insurance, whatever. Like there's just, I'm not going to start hypothetical hypothetically going through all the reasons or barriers that you might not be able to but you find comfort and joy out of a, a quick drive to a lake but how rare is that i don't even get to do it that often so it's very rare for almost everybody and like even the act of painting is a privileged like it's a it requires funds right and i'll be honest like when i'm burnt out your creative, I feel like my creativity is just gone anyway. But that's difficult because almost all hobbies have a cost involved um, or other kinds of barriers. We got to find you something. Like, I feel like I want, like, is there something that you love to do that you just cannot? Or have you just not found that something that brings you peace for a moment or? So first rejuvenates off, <laughs> you, you know. You just switched into host mode. Sorry. No, that's perfect. It was inevitable. <laughs> but I I don't live vicariously through my daughter. The things we are doing, so I focus a lot on STEM uh activities. The things we are doing are things I enjoy doing. So but when she's not with you, you say you're on pause. That is uh -huh. half your life now. That is something that is something that full on. Maybe thank like you. Bill Nye, the science guy on the set. <laughs> thank you for throwing this in my face like this, because I got her. Um, she has been watching these. I think it's called a ASRM, where <laughs> it's it's marble videos and the sounds and the visuals of these videos are like soothing to though I don't know if it's soothing but the second that video starts I, I would have to basically unplug the tv and throw it outside to get her to break her concentration on these videos it just takes her to a place as a result I was able to get her a kit like a marble kit like like the videos and we're playing with them and I am having fun playing with them she is having fun playing with them I will not pull that box out and play with those things, even though it is a great way to completely break from the routine of thinking about the troubles of the day. And I'm going to actively, after this, I'm going to actively go and pull that box out just to try. But I know it's only going to last a few seconds before. It's because it's, this is why I want to do this, this series or this show is the depth of the level of hypocrite that I will go in this whole series is something that I'm fully aware of, but I'm still going to do it. Like I'm sitting here asking you, what things do you do? This is do? Jay's therapy sessions too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something that I, I've tried to understand this and maybe, maybe for you, you don't maybe realize it, but what we're doing right now, you host a podcast. Yes, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But you are creating something, you are creating content, you are having conversations, you are talking about things and contributing to society because someone listens to that episode and then goes and is more informed or it does leave an impact, but we don't view it as that. You even had the visual, rep <laughs> you even had a visual representation when I said, and it impacts society. There was kind of a, well, hopefully it does kind of look, but 
just in the the act of creating this thing that didn't exist before, that is beautiful. But is it making enough money? Are we going to be able to find a guest? Do we have enough time? Do we this? Do we all of the stressors of it make it we've almost taken something we're doing as therapy or as a joy, a hobby. It is. I don't find the podcast work at all. Like even when I'm tediously like editing some videos and whatnot, I really, I do it with a huge grin on my face. It's hilarious. Yeah, maybe it is therapy. So maybe I've found like an outlet because even when it's hard, even when I don't have a guest, sometimes like, you know, it's a Thursday drop and it's Wednesday and I've just withdrawn, you know, I've just been burnt out and I'm not pulled my weight. Um, I'm not like anxious about it the way that like school would make me like deadlines in that way. Um, I'm not a student anymore, but oh my God, school burnt me out. That was when I was in the hospital. But, but this is like just pure joy. And a lot of people challenge me on, you know, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? Like the stuff that I used to do, like a little more of the, your typical organizing and, you know, shit disturbing within the NDP. Um, and I'm really kind of not missing that at the moment. I feel like I have found what comes easy to me at the moment. And hopefully, you know, I build my skills and I am contributing in a positive way. But that's how it feels to me. And for now, that's, that's fucking good enough, right? Like, I feel good about it. The work I did inside the NDP wasn't rewarding in that the results weren't there. The output was just usually not... I don't know what even the output was. It was just always fighting, like just fighting to be heard and seen. And um, that work just had, yeah, almost zero payback except for the comrades made and the lessons learned. But they say he's like, it's not work if you find something that you love, but or and it pays, but it doesn't. <laughs> but that's I mean, that's OK for now. You talked earlier about how even painting is a privilege because the supplies. Sure. Yeah. And. There are so many in the disabled community. This is something that if you do anything, well, why don't you put all this extra effort that you can't because it takes so much other to commodify that and make money? Why don't you? Oh, if you can type on Twitter, you can do typing as a job and all of these, those types of reactions, they're very stark. They're normalized when it's towards the disabled community, but it's such a stark example of how we can, for the most part, point to that situation of here is this mountain of barriers for this person to do that. Though just to create it, let alone the, the act of selling and creating an entire business around like a dollar store supplied painting that people aren't going to spend millions of dollars on. Hopefully someone does get to that level, but there's this realization of how messed up that actually is. Well, hopefully there's a realization, but then this person who can look at that and go, wow, that's kind of messed up to say, oh, if you can type, you can work. It's totally ignorant of all the issues in that person's life that would have to overcome. But then they accept it of themselves and others doing it to them as they go punch in for the day, grinding away. So this is why 
I found burnout to be the topic I really wanted to talk about because we've, we, we've normalized it in so many places, but still recognize it bad in other places and then go into denial. It's such a hot mess to me. But you said we're at a, a, a place politically, a dire place politically for most of human existence. And this is me just talking from personal view. Most of human existence, there's been very minimalized threats to either individuals or groups. It's never been a global threat. And then climate, like climate is not something I don't understand the concept of climate denying because it is bad. And if it is on a cycle and we've sped that cycle, whatever impact we have had, you cannot say that clear-cutting almost every tree on this planet is having a bad effect. But even though we understand the horrible effects of what we have been doing, we as a species for a very long time, being at, at a place where we have the knowledge and the tools and the resources to fully kind of understand, it is so far below individual, societal, political, capital interest. So that is, but because it's normalized in every other aspect, it's not hard to convince groups of people, well, this is normal, or how weird is it that you're talking about changing this system and the way it is? And I know there's not a question, but your thoughts on that? Well, I think like one thing you said there that really I wanted to maybe challenge you on is the idea that we have the tools and the resources. Um, they exist, but we don't collectively own them um, or ha have access to them. And people find that incredibly frustrating because they do feel like we do have the tools and resources and science. And I did kind of present it as a way that we have the tools and resources to change it. But what I meant is we had the tools and resources to understand that, like, it is an issue. It's not a myth. It's not a Hollywood narrative. Yeah, like climate deniers, I hope, are, well, I don't know. It's sketchy. Like, the folks that just don't buy into stuff. Um, we touched on it on, on an episode I just recorded. But, like, the distrust of government plays a lot into that, I think, on why people maybe aren't all convinced on how bad it is. Um, and that's a healthy distrust of government. However, it's not suiting us very well at this point. But the idea, the the fact that there's such pressure put on the individual to make certain changes, like you and I kind of got into that uh, a little bit this week, collective responsibility and then like individual responsibility. And Yes, we all have our part. And if we all played that same part, it would have a massive impact. But at the same time, it would still not be enough without resistance and revolt, right? There, We absolutely, capital will never allow us to make the impact that we need to do as individuals working by ourselves or even in these great community networks that a lot of people are creating. That isn't going to be enough. That's a weight that we bear, that they make us bear, right? That like recycle. Yes, recycle, still recycle. But like, that's not the problem. You sorting your recycling is not the problem. Capital is, it's capital. Capital is the problem. You got to, you got to punch up. But we 
often feel like it's on us because it has been (laughs) the folks that should lead us into battle um, against this collective threat aren't and individualism is reinforced constantly. So that goes with take care of yourself and only yourself. But yeah, like climate anxiety is such a huge reality for a lot of folks. And I don't want to sound like I don't care about climate justice. I don't actually experience that anxiety. I When I say the clock is ticking, I, I, I mean against the rise of the right and all of the other things that will come with that and that are already coming with that. You know, um, right now, trans people and, and those that are unhoused and uh, disabled right now are essentially being erased, right? We are seeing a rise of fascism, but climate, they feel that constant pressure, fully aware of what the problem is, fully aware of the consequences of not doing anything. I hope you can get some climate justice activists on here to talk about that because you know, when you hear it from them, it's like this incredible internal pressure that they feel on top of all of the other pressures that we naturally feel. So think that you've led this to a great place to potentially end it with a question, and it's going to be probably the hardest one. We've identified and talked about like personal um, impacts and causes and so on. And we've identified more systemic ways you go into a space, a conversation or a group or a meeting or whatever, fully understanding a lot of the things that this person may not be aware of or may be fully aware of, like burnout, like the the mental and physical impact of every aspect of their life. And then they turn around and dismiss something that either you or the group or whatever is saying they take an opposition to social justice issue or the way people are talking about going about it. And then it becomes a conflict of here are a group of people who come together to fight this social injustice. We can, we can just say a specific, even though the intersectionality means you can't talk about one without the other. But for this case, there's someone who, however they have come about it, it is what it is. And everyone else who is saying, no, it shouldn't be. How do you do that in a trauma-informed way where this person, like, obviously our instinct is let's either kick them out of that space, remove them or attack them or, or anything. How do we, how do we start communicating in a way that is effective but it isn't education doesn't lead to action it it can't just be tell people this is what's happening because then you get into the the chicken little the sky is falling and it, it becomes pointing it out and educating is the the weird thing or the people who are acting individually or as groups or whatever that can be viewed as ineffective or weird because you're not doing something that society deems as normal we understand these things and then we encounter someone who doesn't how do we go about this in a way to go hey you are a victim of this thing because if you talk to a ceo obviously this changes but if you're talking to someone who's talking about oh yeah you just got to grind and lift yourself up by the bootstraps and all these things to perpetuate the concept that being in a, a, a from birth to death burnout is just the way it is. 
how do we have these healthy conversations? How do we normalize where we normalize not only talking about burnout, but the fact that it is not okay. It's not natural. It's not healthy. It's not normal. So how do we solve all the problems of the world, Jess? <laughs> well, I think like self-realization goes a long way too. So when you're communicating to folks, try not to slip into that, like bragging about how busy you are uh, as though that's clout. We also fall into the trap of asking new people, you know, what do you do? Meaning like, what is their job? What are they paid to do? And it's like, I'm not telling people to change these two phrases that they go that they have in their conversations, but more the mentality that comes with it. So like value the art your friends create, buy it, (laughs) see value in the contributions, not normally celebrated. You know, um, we often celebrate caregivers as though the folks they're caring for aren't also contributing to that relationship in any way, in any meaningful way that that knowledge sharing in itself or storytelling or um, any kind of creative art isn't actually contributions because and you will encounter those people. We encounter those people daily and they're trapped. They know it. They feel that it's not normal. They're just doing the same thing. So like empathy just goes a long way too, you know, it's hard, but I hope you find more answers than I'm able to provide. (laughs) It's a struggle for me too sometimes, even with my own contributions to anything, motherhood, the output I have into the world and whether that is enough. So I think we're really hard on ourselves. The fight becomes a little easier when you do have kids and and I, or, or you have access to a younger generation is that you know that your impact on them is generational. It will live on more so than your your individual work, right? But that's by yourself or, or with just kind of the natural kind of grind of things. And so knowing that you might not even be seeing all of the results of the contributions that you make is important so that you feel satisfied, so you don't push yourself so much. So I'm kind of talking to myself here a little bit too. Always trying to get like that more reach. Like for me, I have a podcast and social media that I, where I try to reach people. So it's like trying to get more reach, more reach, more reach. But if you reach one person and they have 20 conversations or they go on to join an action and you just don't know, right? Like you just don't, you, you have to be satisfied in knowing that you will never see the full impact of your contributions, but believe that they are exponential. Uh, maybe that'll allow folks to rest a little bit. At the first, I'll say half of my life, I used to hear the saying, those who fight for change don't normally live to see the change. And I used to, I used to view that as like a deterrent, like hmm. why fucking bother? But then not even the second half, but not not that far in the past, I heard it at the right time in the right context where it's like, oh, okay, so I am providing the stepping stones, trailblazing, whatever words you use to represent that. And a lot of people don't realize how, for me, I, I see my daughter, <laughs> I told my daughter that hugging trees helps them grow. So she literally is a tree hugger because any tree she sees, she wants to help it grow and she'll hug it, which makes walks very long, but still quite rewarding. And then there's this guilt of, I have to do everything to ensure that there's trees in her future. And I realized that that kind of narrative of the catastrophizing versus the minimalizing 
of things that to me is kind of like the left or the right or however you want to say it where i can i'm going to i have so many people who are willing to do this and i have a feeling a lot of the things we're going to talk about are going to be the same but very very different and so in your parting thank you very much for doing this oh my pleasure but in in your parting goodbye you can name drop the things like blueprints and so on but if you were telling and i'm so sorry to spring this on you if you were telling your younger self something about burnout what would it be you're probably autistic <laughs> i would uh, i went a long time having no idea why i felt certain ways and why i would hit walls but honestly that that would have been probably the most because when you when you said your younger self, my first thought was, okay, what advice? That's what he's going to ask me, right? Because I'm always trying to think ahead. But what advice would you give your younger self? Just done. Not about burnout, <laughs> even though that's what we're talking about. And I would have been like, get in the fight earlier. That that's what my advice. That's what that was my answer. Get in the fight earlier, harder, and don't let up. Like not even for a second. <laughs> so there's. I, I guess I learned nothing from this episode at all, Jay. I hope someone did. Maybe as I sit back and reflect. But like you've said it a few times, like I'm fully self-aware of burnout and its impact, but seemingly unwilling to do anything about it. Just except fight harder and maybe it'll go away. Maybe I wasn't your best first guest. You know, if folks want to help bolster my spirits and, and, and my energy... I would appreciate if they could check out my podcast. It's our podcast. It's part of Rabble Rousers production. Um, and it's called Blueprints of Disruption. And really, it's just dedicated to all the folks out there that are just fighting that good fight, no matter what, constantly wanting to share uh, lessons with each other. Well, this has been Burnout with Jess and McLean. Thank you very much for listening or watching. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.